السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respect listeners, we gather once again the commentary of Surah Al-Hujarat the 49th surah of the Qur'an. We've covered six verses so far of the surah. And to summarize, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the believers of the need to humble themselves before Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not to try and surpass them, outdo them, or outpace them in any way. Believers are also reminded not to raise their voices above the messenger, above the voice of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whether in his presence and addressing him, or whether in his presence and not addressing him, or as the ummah has believed and accepted, even in his absence, not to raise oneself or one's voice above the position or the voice of the Messenger Allah then rebukes certain people who failed to show the, who failed to display the correct manners, observe the correct etiquette and show respect to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Allah actually says of them that most of them have no understanding, no sense. Then Allah Azzawajal reminds the believers of the need to verify facts and ascertain the truth before they come to a judgment or decision about someone or something lest they inflict harm on someone and then come to regret it afterwards because they fail to act on firm knowledge and on proof and evidence rather than impulsively reacting to rumour-mongering, hearsay, gossip, etc. This leads us to the end of the sixth verse. And the seventh verse is actually a continuation of the same topic 
It branches out, but it leads on from the previous verse. So the verse number six, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu in ja'akum fasiqum binaba'in fatabayyanu an tusibu qawmun bijahalatin fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadimeen. That, O oh, believers, if a sinful person comes to you with some news, then ascertain the truth, inquire, <coughs> lest you inflict harm on someone in ignorance without realising, then you come to regret what you have done. I mentioned that the famous backdrop to the revelation of this verse was a certain incident in which Al-Walid ibn Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayd was sent by the Messenger sallallahu alayhi to collect zakah. There was great confusion and he was informed that the Banu Mustaliq, the people who were supposed to pay the zakah, they, were, they had become rebellious and were refusing to accept the authority of the Prophet وسلم, or to pay any zakah and that his life was under threat as a result. He, since he was alone, he did not continue with the journey. Rather, he turned back and went and informed the Prophet of the report that he had received. The report was false. The Prophet heard his report in a gathering of companions. And the companions, they, in their passion, also reacted by becoming very angry and passionate. And they were suggesting to the Prophet that he should take firm and decisive action against this act of rebellion on the part of Banu Mustaliq. The Prophet advised caution and he waited. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in the meantime, Banu Mustaliq, very innocently, when they sensed that when they realized that no collector had come, they feared that this was a result of the Prophet ﷺ's displeasure with them. So in order to clarify their position, they came as a large delegation to the Messenger ﷺ. In the conversation that ensued, matters were clarified, and I've explained all of this in detail last week. And following this incident, these verses were revealed. Now, verse number seven is a continuation of this same topic. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ لَعَنِدْتُمْ And know that amongst you is the messenger of Allah. If he obeyed you in many affairs, you would surely suffer. But rather, Allah has endeared faith unto you and has beautified it in your hearts. And Allah has made detestable to you disbelief, 
and sin and disobedience. These are the ones who are rightly guided. As a bounty and grace from Allah and a blessing. And Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Now this leads us to the end of verse number 8. Now in, in verse 7 and 8, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, primarily to the companions, radiyallahu anhum, is first of all, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Know that amongst you is the messenger of Allah. That, O oh, companions, realize how fortunate you are. That walking, talking, living and moving amongst you is not any mere mortal. Rather, he is a messenger of Allah. And all the verses so far have spoken of that position, of that respect. Be mindful of how you address him. Be careful of how you speak in his presence. Be careful of how you speak to him. Do not raise your voices when addressing him. Do not raise your voices even when speaking to each other in his presence. Be mindful of his privacy, of his needs, of his convenience. Do not disturb him. Do not inconvenience him. Do not try to outdo him, surpass him. Do not place yourselves before him in any way. So again, this is another reminder that realize that amongst you is the messenger of Allah. He is not any normal person. He is the messenger of Allah. Recognize his position first of all. Secondly, accept his authority. Accept his primacy. And remember, and be careful when you make your suggestions and when you present your ideas to him and do not burden him do not try to enforce your preferences on him do not burden him with your persistence if the messenger of Allah consults you then offer your opinion as Allah has told them as Allah told the messenger Allah says of the believers وَأَمْرُهُمْ شُورًا بَيْنَهُمْ and their affair is by mutual consultation. And Allah addressing the Messenger وسلم, told him, وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ That a Messenger of Allah consult them in the affair. Solicit their opinions. Seek their advice. But when they have given their advice, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Once you have decided, then rely upon Allah. Meaning, you proceed with your decision, whether it's in agreement with their views or not. So with, even with the Prophet wasallam, it wasn't a question of a majority. When he consulted the companions, عنهم, he wouldn't necessarily go by what the majority said. Rather, Allah warned him against that. In fact, Allah told him, وَإِن أَكْثَرَ مَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ يُضِلُّكَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ If you were to obey and follow, most of whom are upon the earth, they would lead you astray from the path of Allah. 
So the Messenger وسلم, was told to consult them in affairs. But once they had dispensed their advice, once the Prophet وسلم, had heard their views, he was still independent. And he was then told that taking on board their opinions, after seeking their advice, consulting them, after soliciting their opinion, whatever decision you come to, once you have come to a firm decision, then فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Rely upon Allah, meaning you proceed with your decision. Regardless, irrespective of whether it's in agreement with them, with some of them, with the majority of them, or maybe with even none of them. So even though the Prophet ﷺ consulted them, and the Sahaba realized this, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored them by making them the, the consultants of the Messenger ﷺ, Allah still reminds them that finally and after all, He is the Messenger of Allah. And that means you should not try to enforce your opinion on Him or be persistent with Him. Say what you have to say respectfully, and once he has heard you, you leave the matter to him. Do not be forceful. Otherwise, as happened on that occasion, when Al-Walid ibn Uqbah came and informed the Prophet ﷺ in the presence of the companions that Banu al-Mustaliq had rebelled, and they had intended to harm him, in fact, kill him, an ambassador of the Messenger وسلم, That was an act of war. The Sahaba, عنهم, in their zeal, in their passion, they reacted. Not, not all of them, but a number of them. And in their reaction, they were suggesting to the Prophet وسلم, that he should take firm and decisive action. But the Prophet ﷺ held back. So Allah tells them of that, saying, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Know that amongst you is the Messenger of Allah. لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ لَعَنِدْتُمْ If he was to obey you in many things, surely you would suffer. And subhanAllah, there is so much truth in that. There are very few people. Well, I would say that not many people have that resolve, that determination, that farsightedness, that foresight, that perception that wisdom and sagacity to do what's right, to know what's right, and not to sway with the wind of people's opinions. And people's opinions change all the time. And people are very easily swayed, one way or the other. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in a verse of the Qur'an, وَلَوْ اتَّبَعَ الْحَقُّ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ لَفَسَدَتِ السَّمَاوَاتُ وَالْأَرْضُ وَمَنْ فِيهِمْ And if the truth was to follow their desires, 
Surely the heavens and the earth and all who are therein would perish. So if the truth was to follow the whims of the people, heaven and earth would perish. And that's why Allah says, And if you were to follow, most of whom are upon the earth, they would surely lead you away from the path of Allah. And here again he says, That if he was to obey you and follow you in many things, he wouldn't suffer. Ultimately, you would be the ones making these forceful suggestions, thinking that your opinion is best, thinking that you know better when he is the messenger of Allah. And if he was to go by what you say, you would be the first ones to suffer, and you would suffer the most. And this is why so far the whole surah has been about humbling oneself before Allah and his messenger وسلم, and submitting to their authority. And never trying to outdo, outpace. And this was the beauty of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Even though things may, may have appeared self-evident, they would still say, Allah and his Rasul وسلم, know best. And a perfect example of that is, the surah begins with the words, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasoolih. O believers, do not advance before Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Know your position. Halt. Do not try to surpass or outdo Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And how did the sahaba radiyallahu anhum demonstrate that? approximately a year or so after the revelation of these verses in the farewell pilgrimage, not in the early part of Hijrah, but in the final few months of the Prophet ﷺ's life when his mission came to an end. In the farewell pilgrimage, in that multitude of scores of thousands, the Prophet ﷺ, the leading companions, the tribes of Arabia, the chieftains of Arabia, the former custodians of the Kaaba, all these people who many of them had come on an annual pilgrimage, and many of them who lived in Mecca and the surroundings of Mecca, who knew every rock and who knew the rubble, who knew the mountains and the hillocks, the Prophet asked them publicly. Which city is this? Which child in that congregation didn't know that they were in Mecca? He asked them, which month is this? Who didn't know? Because before the days of Islam, mixed with their hajj and their pilgrimage, these days of Dhul-Hijjah were also famous because they would have these annual fairs there. So for them, it was, a, it was an occasion of pilgrimage coupled with trade and festivity and celebration. So who didn't know that these were the days of Dhul-Hijjah? 
And who didn't know which day it was? And yet to each of these questions, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in unison said, Allahu Rasuluhu A'lam. Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam know best. Subhanallah. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum, the primary recipients of the Qur'an, masters of the Arabic language, poets, the, the people in whose everyday language the Qur'an was revealed, the people who better than anyone else understood the vocabulary of the Qur'an, its metaphors, its allegories, its similitudes, its parables, every, the nuances of the words, the shades of meaning. No one was better suited than the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And yet, to a simple question like this, they all replied by saying, Allahu Rasuluhu A'lam, Allah and His Messenger know better, Allah and His Messenger know better, Allah and His Messenger know better. That's a level of submission and humility. And repeatedly I've given the example of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu a famous word about him is, وَكَانَ وَقَّافٍ عِنْدَ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ And if someone wants to do a literal translation, of this phrase about Sayyidina Umar radiallahu and it's, it's mentioned in Bukhari, and he, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu literal, literal translation would be, he would stand excessively by the book of Allah. It doesn't make sense. What it means is, he was one who would excessively and abruptly come to a halt before the Book of Allah. Whenever the words of the Qur'an were mentioned to him, Sayyidina Umar instantly fell silent and submitted. He was giving a sermon. And he actually mentioned that, O oh, people, do not raise your dowries. Do not raise your dowries. And then he gave the example of the Messenger Wasallam's dowries. And a woman stood up, an old lady, and she publicly said to Umar ibn al-Khattab, how can you say that? That do not raise the dowries. When Allah in the Quran says that if one of you have one of you has given the wife Qintar a hoard. And if one of you has given a qintar, qintar means a hoard of wealth to one of, the, to one of the women as a wife, then do not take it off her. Do not take anything off her. This is to do with marriage and divorce, but that's not the topic, but that's the context. So when she said that, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, he was Amirul Mu'mineen, he was a leader of the faithful. He did not feel embarrassed. He did not feel slighted or insulted in any way. He wasn't angry or indignant. He actually calmly accepted. He accepted what the woman had to say and he fell silent. Even though he could have, he could have provided an explanation. 
Sayyidina Umar could have said, could have, for argument's sake, that if someone had given a woman a huge amount of wealth in dowry, that was before. Of course, the Quran says, do not take it off her. But Sayyidina Umar was giving people the example of the Prophet and advising them he wasn't forbidding it. For there were many things that the Prophet did, chose to do, chose for his family, the opposite of which is entirely permissible in Islam. But one is what's permissible. It's entirely permissible to build a huge house. Entirely permissible. It's entirely permissible to keep gold at home. It's entirely permissible to have 200 suits of clothes. But the Prophet ﷺ did not do any of this. There are things that we do every day. We have two dishes before us. Never did the Prophet ﷺ combine two dishes in his life. So, one thing is what's halal and lawful and permissible, and one thing is what is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And when people become excessive in lawful, permissible things, then there is no harm whatsoever. In fact, it's to be encouraged that people are reminded, not that it's unlawful, but they are reminded of the sunnah of the Messenger And that's all that Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab was doing. But out of sheer respect for the words of Allah, Sayyidina Umar fell silent. And there are many stories of Sayyidina Umar. Men abusing him, such as Uyaynut ibn Hism al-Fizari. He came to Medina and he told his nephew that you, you are a man of standing and position with Umar ibn al-Khattab, Amir al-Mu'mineen. So take me to see him tomorrow and intercede on my behalf. So the nephew said, fine. The next day, nephew took his uncle Uyaynut ibn Hism who's actually one of the chieftains of one of the tribes. So as soon as he entered, he said to Umar ibn al-Khattab in a whole group of people, Hey, Ibn al-Khattab, you don't give as much wealth, and nor are you just. Sayyidina Umar being Umar he lunged at him. He did. He flew into a rage and lunged at him. So the nephew straight away said, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allah says in the Quran, خُذِ الْعَفْوِ وَأْمُرْ بِالْعُرْفِ وَعَارِذْ عَنِ الْجَاهِلِينَ وَهَذَا مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ He said, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, O oh, leader of the faithful, Allah says in the Quran, خُذِ الْعَفْوِ Adopt forgiveness and enjoin the good and ignore the ignorant. And he is one of the ignorant. He said of his own uncle, he said he is one of the ignorant. As soon as the nephew of Uyinat ibn Hisn recited the verses of the Quran, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu's anger subsided. That was the effect he had on him. 
instantly and he fell silent. Despite the insult, who was Sayyidina Umar? He was a leader of the faithful, the uncrowned king of the whole of, the, uh, of Arabia and beyond. And a Bedouin tribal leader comes and accuses him and abuses him publicly before his ministers. Sayyidina Umar flew into a rage as soon as he was reminded of the verses of the Qur'an, he fell silent. Totally. So, and there were many examples, that humorous incident of Khawla bin Thalaba, regarding whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again he was another woman, and her issue was to do with divorce. Her husband divorced her in a particular manner through dihar. She came and pleaded with the Messenger وسلم, The Prophet وسلم, acting on his previous knowledge, told her that I do not see this except as a divorce and therefore you must separate from him. She began weeping and pleading with the Messenger وسلم, remonstrating with him. Jibreel came with the verses of the Quran. Indeed, Allah has heard the words of that lady who was arguing with you. Not arguing in the sense of uh, battling it with you or being rude or insolent in any way, but who was pleading with you and remonstrating with you regarding her husband. And while she was complaining and pleading to Allah, because she then withdrew and began weeping. So Allah, has, Allah was listening to your conversation. So that was Khawla bint Thalibah anha. She was old. On one occasion, she was walking through the streets of Medina. Umar ibn Khattab was walking with his entourage. And she met him in the street. And he was surrounded by other senior Sahaba. And she stopped him. And she began talking to him as an old lady would speak to someone that she's seen grow up. And she said, Oh, look at you. I remember a time when we used to say about you, Umair, little Umar, the diminutive of Umar, little Umar. And now look at you in your pomp and glory and surrounded by an entourage and Amirul Mu'mineen. And she'd be, Sayyidina Umar ibn al Khattab and just remained silent. He didn't say a word, not a word in response. His companions were becoming very annoyed and defensive about him. After the lady had gone, some of them actually said, Oh, Amirul Mu'mineen, how did you allow this woman to speak to you in that manner? And he then reminded everyone that, do you know who she is? That is Khawla bint Thalibah, regarding whom Allah revealed these verses of the Qur'an, that indeed Allah has heard the words of that lady who was remonstrating with you. So if Allah can listen to her from above the seven heavens, then why would Umar not listen to her? When it came to the Qur'an, same with Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. <coughs> Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu was reciting the Qur'an. This was in Hajj. Someone came and complained to Umar that there is a man who is reciting the Qur'an in such and such a manner that we are unaware of, meaning it's slightly different to the way we recite. 
they disapproved of his recitation. So, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, as soon as he heard those words, that there was someone reciting the Qur'an in a manner that the others could not relate to, the words of the narrator are that he actually ballooned up in anger. He inflated in anger. That's how angry he became. And raising his voice, he shouted. He wanted to summon this man. And he, becoming inflated with anger, actually ballooning up with anger, and shouting at the top of his voice, he said, Who is this man? So when the person told him, it's Ibn Ummi Abd, meaning Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. As soon as he heard the name of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an's anger subsided and he fell silent. And then he said, if it's Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, then he has every right to recite the way he wants. And the reason again he stopped is because he knew the position of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an with the Messenger of Allah. And in fact, what had happened, and why did he respect, why did he fall silent again? Why did he come to an abrupt halt before Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? One night, he himself says, we remained behind in the masjid after Isha. I, Abu Bakr, and the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, discussing the affairs of the ummah. When we finished, we rose and we started making our way. We passed by someone. Reciting the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ stood there listening. And we listened with him. And then the Prophet ﷺ praised the reciter. And turning to us said, Go and give this reciter the glad tidings. For his recitation. See, because they were with the Prophet ﷺ and that man was engaged in salah in the darkness of the night, none of them went. But after the Prophet ﷺ was taken back home, Umar went to see, and he says it was none other than Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So he says, I resolved that in the morning I would go and give him the glad tidings. He said, I went in the morning and lo, again Abu Bakr had beat me to it. So he recognized the position of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an and the authority that the Prophet had given him and the esteem in which he held him. He loved Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. Once Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu'an's home was being repaired. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu'an's Amir al-Mu'mineen stood there, just looking at the work, monitoring the work. And he was Amir al-Mu'mineen. So someone came and said to him, Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, why are you standing here? Meaning, what he said to him is, Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, why do you need to preoccupy yourself, you being who you are? With your position and your importance, what need is there for you to stand here observing and monitoring the work of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud? Meaning this is rather lowly, isn't it? Of all people, you shouldn't have to do this. 
whatever the person said, this was his import, this was his import, this was his intent. Whatever he said, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab became so angry, he didn't say a word to him, he just bent down, picked up a rock and flung it at him and said to him, away with you, how dare you come in between me and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So, when it came to the Book of Allah and the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the words of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Umar ibn al-Khattab despite being who he was, would instantly and immediately come to a halt. So this is how a believer should be. So Allah says in this verse, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ And know that amongst you there is a messenger of Allah. Yes, he, he consults you and you may offer your opinion, but do not be forceful, do not be adamant, do not be persistent. And do not expect the Messenger وسلم, to act on your whims, your preferences and your desires, or your opinions. And accept that you do not know Allah and His Messenger وسلم, know best. No matter how ever, no matter how it may appear to you. لو يطيعكم في كثير من الأمر لعندتم if he was to obey you in many things surely you would suffer and if that was true for the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم it's just as true for us we do not know and this is why Allah reminds us throughout the Quran that his laws the teachings of his messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم there are many secrets and there are many wisdoms in them. Though we may not understand them or always be able to relate to them. And that if, if the truth was to follow our desires, then heaven and earth would perish. And this is why we must mould ourselves to the teachings of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam not expect the teachings of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to be molded to us. And if that is the case, then as always happens, we desire one thing in the morning and something else in the evening, and yet another thing tomorrow morning, and yet a fourth thing tomorrow evening. In that way, the words of Allah and the words of His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam become a jest. A joke, moulded, bended, twisted, contorted, to suit our momentary whims and desires. If the Sahaba عنهم, could humble themselves in that manner, that even to a simple question as, what, which city is this, which day is this, which month is this, all of them in unison replied, Allahu Rasuluhu A'lam, Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam know best. This is why Allah says, humble yourselves before Allah His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Know that amongst you there is a Messenger of Allah. I'll say more on this and expand on this after Salah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. As I was saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ And know that amongst you is the Messenger of Allah. لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ لَعَنِدْتُمْ If he was to obey you in many things, surely you would suffer. 
And this ties in with what different verses of the Quran say. Addressing the Messenger of Allah, Allah says, And if you were to obey and follow many of those who are on the earth, surely they would lead you away from the path of Allah. And also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and if the truth was to follow their desires, then surely the heavens and the earth and all who are therein would perish or would be corrupted. We, in respect of Allah and His Messenger, وسلم, are far more lacking in knowledge far more inferior in position than even children are in respect of the most intelligent and wisest adults. If you imagine the contrast between the most seasoned, weathered, experienced, old, intelligent, wise individuals, and toddlers. If we imagine the contrast between these two groups of people, the con- that contrast, the contrast between us as adults, as as the whole of um, uh, uh, the whole ummah, as the whole of creation, that contrast between us. And Allah and His Messenger وسلم, is infinitely greater than the contrast between toddlers and the wisest of people. And similarly, just as Allah says, if He was to obey you in many things, surely you would suffer. Imagine if adults were to obey and to succumb and to surrender. To every whim, desire, and wish of children. (coughs) What would happen? There'd be anarchy. There'd be corruption and anarchy at home. And this is why there needs to be discipline. Even if the children cry, even if they weep, even if they throw tantrums, for their own safety, for their own betterment, for their own good, for their own welfare, we often have to deny them what their childish minds and desires wish for momentarily. And it's always momentary. We give them one thing, very short attention span. And once the excitement has worn off, they leap onto something else, and that toy is forgotten, totally abandoned, even though a moment before it meant the world to them, it meant more than their parents to them. It probably meant more than themselves. So, children, despite their tantrums, their tears, sometimes even their damage, and children have been known to 
children can be very manipulative, and part of the manipulation of children is threats of self-harm. So children actually tell the parents, I'll harm myself. If you don't give me what I want, children, we're not talking about teenagers, we're actually talking about toddlers. Toddlers will threaten to harm themselves. And this is part of that manipulative behaviour that they learn even in childhood. Early childhood. So, if, despite their tantrums, despite their threats of self-harm, and of endangering themselves, despite their tears, and even though we may feel for them, our knowledge, our experience, our wisdom, our better understanding as adults, enable us to overcome our own pain and for them, our own sorrow at their, and pity at their state, <laughs> and to deny them and to deny ourselves, giving them whatever they want. Because we know that if we do obey them, they will suffer greatly. And we will also suffer as a result. But the greatest suffering will come to them. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, that despite your adulthood and your intelligence and your wisdom and your leadership, despite being who you are, know that your relationship with him and your contrast to him is not that of a man to another man, is that of people, mere mortals, to the messenger of Allah. So if he was to ever obey you in what you want, then you would be the first and the most to suffer. And that's not just true for the Sahaba, if it's true for them, then where do we fit in? Even though we may not understand, just like children don't understand. We deny children what they want without even explaining to them. We simply say to them, you'll understand when you grow up. Similarly, there are some things which we will never understand. Just as children's minds, physically, chemically, biologically, neurologically, are incapable of actually understanding certain things. They're incapable. Biologically and chemically, they are incapable of understanding certain things. And they will just have to wait until many, many years later. So similarly, our brains, despite how intelligent we are and we think we believe ourselves to be as human beings, and Allah has endowed us with intelligence, but that intelligence is limited. That intelligence, we may be astounded by it. And in many ways, of course, it is astounding and it's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the giver of that gift has also told us that it's limited and it's only for this dunya, for this world. How can we attempt to understand the great wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or try and outdo and surpass Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with that feeble understanding? Our minds play tricks with us. Today, I never actually read the article, but um, I was just skimming through some of the headlines, and one of the headlines was about false memories. Again, 
and this was another scientific report, I haven't read it, but uh, the title uh, suggested what's been covered in previous reports, but probably this is some new discovery, but about false memories, that our memories are so deceptive. What we actually believe to have happened, as we saw it, as we experienced it, as we felt it, can be very misleading. Our memories are very damaged, very incomplete interpretations of the world around us at a given time. And contrary to previous understanding, memories aren't stored and then retrieved. Rather, the brain actually tries to reconstitute and rebuild those thoughts and those memories. So every time you remember something, your brain is actually reconstructing and restructuring the memory. And that over time... So imagine if you had to build something every day or repeatedly, or you had to build something after many, many months. Surely you're going to get things wrong. And so this is what happens with memory, and yet... So if we cannot remember our own experiences, we can be so easily mistaken, and our memories of our own feelings, emotions, experiences, sights and sounds and thoughts, and our interpretation of the world and reality around us, can be so deceiving, so incomplete, and possibly f very false, then with that kind of limited mind, how can we dare to challenge Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his wisdom or try to understand Allah's qadr and other issues? So we are children and worse than children in contrast to Allah's knowledge and the knowledge of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we may not know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are many verses of the Qur'an that tell us that. Allah says, it is highly possible, perhaps, you may dislike something even though it is far better for you. And it's perhaps, it is highly possible that you may like something when it is worse for you. Allah knows, but you do not know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his teachings, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his teachings, have sought to relieve us, to release us from our shackles, not to burden us. And Allah repeats that throughout the Qur'an. Allah wishes ease for you, Allah does not wish difficulty for you. مَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيَجْعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ حَرَجٍ وَلَكِنْ يُرِيدُ لِيُطَهِّرَكُمْ وَلِيَتِمَّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكُمْ Allah does not wish to place any burden on you. Rather, Allah wishes to purify you. And Allah wishes to complete His favor on you. Time and time again. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُبَيِّنَ لَكُمْ وَيَهْدِيَكُمْ سُنَنَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَيَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ 
والله عليم حكيم والله يريد أن يتوب عليكم ويريد الذين يتبعون الشهوات أن تميلوا ميلا عظيما يريد الله أن يخفف عنكم وخلق الإنسان ضعيفا Allah wishes to explain to you and to clarify to you Allah wishes to guide you. This is a translation of the verses I've just recited. Allah wishes to explain to you and guide you along the paths and the ways of those who came before you. And Allah wishes to turn to you in mercy and forgiveness. And Allah is all-wise, all-knowing. Allah wishes to relent to you and turn to you in accepting your forg- in, in forgiveness and in mercy. And those who follow their desires, they wish to see you depart a great departure, to deviate a great deviation. Allah wishes to lighten the load off you. Allah wishes to make it easy for you. وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا And man has been created weak. And this is in the context of, again, Allah says Allah wishes to purify you. Many of the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are meant to cleanse us, to purify us, to make us better. Though they may not be easy, they may be difficult. So, For instance, we do wudu. The laws of purification are not easy. Every time you break your wudu, you have to complete your wudu, ritual purity. Ghusl, wudu, wudu, again and again, again and again. You cannot pray without completing wudu. You break your wudu, you invalidate your wudu, you have to repeat your wudu. In the cold, in the early hours of the morning, you have to do ghusl. Again and again. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the context of wudu says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not wish to burden you in any way. Rather Allah wishes to purify you. And Allah wishes to complete his favor on you. There are countless verses throughout the Quran when addressing the wise of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Allah tells them, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Then Allah says, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّدْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا That Allah only wishes to remove all impurity from you, O family of the household, and to purify you completely. And these were the commands to the wives of the Prophet So all these restrictions... All these prohibitions are there not to burden us, not to restrict us, but in fact to release us from our own shackles because we are binding ourselves. We are bound. And that's why in one verse of the Quran, Allah mentions it very beautifully. We may not understand the wisdom of the teachings of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam know best. And the verse that describes this beautifully is, Allah gives an example of the companions radiyallahu anhum. 
الذين يتبعون الرسول النبي الأمي الذي يجدونه مكتوبا عندهم في التوراة والإنجيل those who follow the unlettered messenger and prophet who is mentioned and registered with them in the Torah and the Injil. What does he do? يأمرهم بالمعروف He enjoins the good to them. وينهاهم عن المنكر And he forbids the evil to them. ويحل لهم الطيبات And he makes lawful to them the pure things. وَيَحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ And he makes unlawful for them the impure things. وَيَضَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ And he offloads their burden from them. وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ And he removes the shackles that were on them, that, the fetters that bound them. This is a description of the Messenger وسلم. In another verse, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ Indeed, a messenger has come to you from yourselves. Azizun alayhima anittum. That which you suffer, the same words that are in this verse. Law yuti'ukum fi kathirin min al amr. What does Allah say? If He was to obey you in much, la anittum, surely you would suffer. In that verse of Surah Al Tawbah. Indeed, a messenger has come to you from yourselves. Azizun alayhima anittum. What you suffer bears down heavily on him. Harisun alaykum. He is desirous of your welfare. Bil mu'mineen ra'ufur rahim. He is with the believers compassionate and merciful. That's a description of the Messenger. So this is how Allah and His Rasul see their teachings and tell us that these are our teachings. Mold yourselves to the teachings of Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Do not try to mold the words of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to your momentary whims and desires and your feeble opinions. For you do not know, Allah knows. And His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam knows. So coming back to this verse, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Know that amongst you that is a messenger of Allah. لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ If he was to obey you in much, لَعْنِتُمْ Surely you would suffer. And indeed, we will suffer. We will suffer not only in the dunya, but in the akhirah. We will suffer in the dunya as well, not just in the akhirah. Many of the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when they are disobeyed, there are disastrous consequences. And those consequences may not be immediate, they may surface later. But we are the ones who will be the primary and greatest sufferers. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and speaking about the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ So Allah says, if it was to obey you in much, then surely you would suffer, but... Allah has endeared faith to you. And adorned it and beautified it in your hearts. And he has made detestable to you disbelief and sin 
and disobedience. These are the ones who are rightly guided. Fadlan min Allah wa ni'mah as a bounty and grace from Allah and a blessing. Wallahu alimun hakim and Allah is all wise, all knowing. And primarily this is a reference to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. That Allah is telling them, if he was to follow you, surely you would suffer. But since you, O companions, apart from these few lapses, overall you have humbled yourselves before the Messenger of Allah. You have followed him. You have obeyed him. And Allah has made you good and pure of heart. These were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. That Allah has adorned and beautified faith in your hearts, iman in your hearts. And Allah has made iman beloved to you. And indeed it was to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. This is why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says, of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, of all of mankind, the purest of hearts are the companions. And they are the most profound of knowledge. For Allah chose them, Abdullah ibn Masood says, Allah chose them to be the companions of his prophets. So indeed, they were pure of heart, Allah endeared iman to them. Of course, they, in their human capacity as human beings, did suffer a few momentary lapses. And Allah warned them, Allah rectified them, they corrected themselves, but Allah used them as an example, as beacons of light for the rest of the ummah, so we can relate to them and follow in their footsteps. We learn from their few mistakes, but their few mistakes, their few lapses, paled in... in, in paled into insignificance and completely disappeared by their overall greatness and good deeds. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yes, if he was to follow you in most things, you would suffer. But because you didn't disobey him, you did obey him, you did follow him, you did humble yourselves before him, you did submit to him, as a result of which, this was avoided. And Allah has indeed made Iman beloved to you. Iman was beloved to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and we know that. And Allah had beautified it in their hearts. This is why when Abu Sufyan was asked by Heraclius, Heraclius asked him the question, this was in the early days, that, well, by now it was the sixth, seventh year of Hijrah, he, Heraclius said to him, do any of the followers of Muhammad turn away from his religion out of displeasure or because they've become disillusioned with it? So Abu Sufyan said no. So Heraclius said to him that indeed this is the case with Iman. When it mingles with the hearts, when its beauty and its delight the words of the hadith are, even Heraclius said, this is the case with Iman, when its sweetness, when its delight mingles with the heart, that no matter how much they suffer, the followers and the companions of the prophets of Allah never abandon their faith or their beloved prophets. Never. 
Because they are on a different level altogether. They are in a different world. The sweetness that they taste of Iman, because Allah has adorned it and beautified it in their hearts. We can't relate to this. We just cannot relate to this. One can't discuss or imagine or understand or even relate to the concept of the sweetness of Iman in one's heart until and unless one has actually experienced it. And Allah has beautified it in your heart. And Allah has adorned, Allah has made detestable to you disbelief and sin and disobedience. And indeed the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were like that. And if we follow in their footsteps, we, we have a conscience too. Our conscience can nag at us. And that's why in a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhima, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَنْ سَرَّتْهُ حَسَنَتُهُ وَسَاءَتْهُ سَيِّئَتُهُ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ Whoever's good deed pleases him and whoever's sin hurts him, then he is a mu'min, he is a believer. If someone has a conscience and they do good, and by doing good, they don't regret doing good. As Allah says, Meaning, and with steadfastness from their hearts. This is a verse in Surah Al-Baqarah in the context of spending in the way of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who get the example of those who give in the way of Allah. In which manner? With steadfastness from their hearts. What does that mean? That means when someone, imagine someone who gives a, a thousand pounds in the way of Allah. And they're not rich. So it's not like a thousand pounds is a pinch for them. Or not even a pinch. Rather, it's a substantial amount even for them. Let's say they give a thousand pounds or a few thousand pounds in the way of Allah. That's a substantial amount. But they give it with steadfastness. And the meaning of what the min anfusihim is that once they've given it, they never look back. They never think back. There's not even a moment of regret or self-doubt that should I have given it? Did I do the right thing? Maybe I shouldn't have given it. Did I give too much? No. They give and they forget. It's gone. It's gone to Allah. That's the meaning of what the thbitam min anfusihim. So when, and then, so when someone does a good deed, and their good deed pleases them, and if it pleases them, they will have no self-doubt about it. No self-doubt whatsoever. They will feel I've done the right thing. And alhamdulillah that Allah gave me the ability to do it. So whether it's charity, whether it's any of the good deed, Prophet sallallahu says, Man Whoever's good deed pleases him, And his sin hurts him. And the meaning of hurting is, it grieves him, it troubles him. So when someone commits a sin, they may suffer a momentary lapse. They may commit some sin. They may do some wrong, but they come to their realize. They come to realize immediately. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says 
in another verse that those who wrong themselves, but as soon as they have wronged themselves, they come to their realization and they repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whoever's misdeeds trouble them, then, for who a mu'min, then he is a believer. Meaning he has iman in his heart. And it's that iman, it's that conscience, it's that love of iman embedded in one's heart. It's that beauty of iman to be found in one's heart. And it's that detest and that dislike and resentment of disbelief, of sin and of disobedience, which causes a person to feel good about one's good deeds and to feel bad about one's bad deeds. And we have that in all of us. And we should try to make the most of it. We should. Increase and strengthen the conscience and try to decrease our misdeeds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those whose hearts are like that, that iman is endeared to them, Beautified in their hearts, adorned in their hearts. Disbelief and sin and disobedience are detestable to them. Then, these are the rightly guided ones. And ultimately, this can only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a bounty and as a grace from Allah. This is why Allah says in one verse, They announce their favour to you, that they have embraced Islam. Say to them, do not boast of your favour to me that you have embraced Islam. Rather, Allah boasts of his favour to you, that he guided you to Iman. So ultimately, this comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, it's not something we can understand. فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمًا This Adornment of Iman and its beautification in our hearts. This endearment of Iman and faith to us. This dislike of disbelief, of sin, of disobedience and of corruption. All of this can ultimately only come from Allah as a bounty and a grace and a blessing from Allah. Fadlam min Allah as a grace from Allah wa and a blessing. Wallahu alim al-hakim and Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. I'll end here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who realize their position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah make us amongst those who, who do not try to do an outpace Allah and his messenger alayhi salatu wa salam. May Allah make us amongst those who are described in these final verses, who are the rightly guided ones. Wa sallallahu sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.